0: Well, hello, everyone. It is uh, good to be with you again. Um, Sure do miss seeing each one of you face to face and look forward to whenever the Lord will allow us to be together again. Um, But for now, we'll continue to share these messages remotely. Um, So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer here before we begin. Father, we just ask for your help now in this time. Lord, please open our hearts to hear what you would have for us. Lord, please give us grace to be honest with your word and that your word would change us. Lord, I pray that you would help me in this time. Lord, help me to be able to speak clearly what you've given. Um, Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to uh, share some things with you that um, I've been thinking about a lot lately here and it's in regards to the topic of anxiety. Um, A number of you have shared um, personally or even with the church as a whole just some of the struggles that have been going on in hearts and minds uh, during this time uh, in regards to anxiety. And so I've been thinking a lot about it and wanted to just share some some thoughts with you. So I hope that this is a help and an encouragement to you all. Um, So just uh, a little bit of what what I hope to do in this time. I want to talk a little bit about anxiety, but then primarily I want to look to the Word. Um, And we'll be looking at three different passages that um, deal with anxiety and look at how Scripture um, encourages us and exhorts us how to deal with, uh, with the anxiety, the anxious feelings that we have. So first just to talk a little bit about anxiety. Um, we all know in some measure about anxiety. We've all experienced it in varying degrees. Um, there's, you know, depending on the stage of life and what you're going through, there's anxiety about school. Uh, maybe a big test Um, or a hard class that you're going through. Maybe it's anxiety about the future. Uh, What school am I going to go to? What job am I going to get? What career should I pursue? Maybe it's anxiety about finances. How am I going to pay for all the bills this month? What if the car breaks down? What if I get laid off from my job and no longer have money coming in? Maybe it's anxiety about health. Um, Are these symptoms? I'm having something serious. I have a family uh, history of serious health issues. Am I going to have health issues also? Maybe it's anxiety about relationships, particularly family relationships. Maybe it's issues with children, issues with a spouse, or issues with parents, or maybe issues with an extended family member. Uh, Nonetheless, these are all things that can cause anxiety for the believer. Um, And there could be many other examples that I haven't mentioned here, anxieties that you feel um, that maybe you aren't even at liberty to share, but nonetheless, we all struggle with anxieties. We can all relate in some way to anxiety. We all have trials and difficulties that stir up anxiety in us. And the Bible doesn't paint a picture of the Christian life being lived with perfect peace and no struggles with anxiety. The Bible is very practical. It meets us right where we are. It anticipates that we will have anxiety and instructs us how to deal with it. Also, the Bible is full of examples of people in hard situations who were anxious They were afraid. And I thought of just a few examples. We're not going to go into depth with these, but just to share them. Think about Jacob as he's um, returning and he now is married and has full family and he's about to meet his brother Esau. And as you remember, um, Jacob had cheated Esau. He had deceived Esau. And now he's returning to him and he's afraid. Esau had threatened to kill Jacob. Now it's been, I believe it's been, 20 plus years since they've seen each other and he's returning and he's afraid he's afraid for his life he spends a whole night awake afraid and so you can think about that the anxiety of coming before this brother so here's a real-life situation that the Bible paints for us another one Israel Uh, they've just been delivered from Pharaoh and from the Egyptians and they're they're at the Red Sea but Pharaoh has a change of heart and all of Egypt with him. The Egyptian army comes with him to recapture Israel. And here they are at the Red Sea. And they're crying out, you know, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? And um, Israel or rather Pharaoh and Egypt are right behind them. Think of the anxiety and the fear in that situation. How about this one? Um, If you remember, Elisha um, and his servant, they are in this city, and um, the king of Aram is trying to attack, but every time he comes up with a strategy or a plan to attack, the Lord reveals it to Elisha, and Elisha tells it to the king, and then the king is able to defend against the king of Aram. And so the Aramians discover that it's because of Elisha. So they're going to come and capture Elisha. They surround this city. And when the servant gets up in the morning and he looks out and he sees the whole city is surrounded by this Aramian army, you can imagine the fear and the uh, anxiety that would be there. And of course, as you know, the story goes, Elisha can see the angels, the, the hosts of heaven that are surrounding this army of the Arameans, but the, uh, the servant couldn't see that. You can, so again, here's, here's a situation that causes anxiety. And then lastly, you've got the disciples on the boat. Jesus is asleep on the boat and the storm has come up. This is a reason to be afraid. I've never been on the ocean or on the sea whenever there was a storm but I can imagine how frightening it would be. And they are afraid. They're they're experienced fishermen, and they are afraid for their lives. They wake Jesus up, and one of the things that they say is, do you not care that we are perishing? They saw how serious this was, and they were afraid for their lives. So you can see here that this is just a sampling of some of the examples. The Bible is very clear and um, very clear honest about this there are situations that we come across that do cause anxiety and fear well what causes our anxiety it would seem that the obvious answer to this question is that the trials and uh, difficulties we face are what cause our anxiety right if i hadn't lost my job i wouldn't be so anxious if there wasn't so much tension in my family I wouldn't be so anxious. Um, Or if I didn't have this sickness, I wouldn't be so anxious. Yet the reality is, these circumstances don't cause our anxiety. They merely reveal our anxiety. They are what bumps into us and cause what's inside our cup to spill out. Uh, Remember, several weeks ago, John Mark gave a message there in the 9.30 time and talked about that. What's inside the cup comes out. We like to blame it on the person or the circumstance or the situation around us, but in reality, it's already in our heart, and that just stirs it up and causes it to spill over. What is really going on at our heart level that causes us to be anxious? Well, it's a desire to be in control. When we are in control and things are running smoothly, there is no anxiety. If a problem arises and I have a proven solution to the problem, that problem is not likely to cause me any anxiety. I know how to fix the problem and I have the power and the means to do it. I'm in control. Think about this as kind of a silly example, but think about this. When was the last time you stressed out whenever the light bulb burned out in your lamp? It doesn't cause you any stress because you know exactly what needs to be done. Unscrew that bulb, get a new bulb, screw it in, turn the power back on, and there you have it, light again. That's because you know what to do. You have control. It causes you no stress. Anxiety is revealed when we lose control. A problem arises, and I have no solution. A problem arises, and I have no answer. A problem arises, and I'm helpless to do anything about it. I've lost control, or worse, I have no control whatsoever over the events and circumstances surrounding my life. When that reality sets in, it can be very frightening it brings all that anxiety to the surface. This current pandemic is a perfect example. There are a lot of people who are very anxious right now. Some of you have even expressed that you're dealing with anxiety. It's no wonder. None of us have any control over the spread of this virus. None of us have any control over financial insecurity. We can try and save money, but when our hours are cut or we lose our job entirely, we suddenly realize that we are helpless in this area. And as far as the spread of the virus, we can all take precautions, but in the end, we're completely powerless to control it. So you see, because we have no control, it does. It stirs up anxiety in us. So control is really the thing that causes the anxiety, or rather the lack of control, is what stirs up that anxiety in us. Well, what is at the root of all this? What is at the root of anxiety? I said that anxiety is caused by a desire to be in control. So what is at the root of that desire to be in control? For some, it is pride. It is a lack of submission to the Lordship of God. I want to be in control of my own life. For the believer, it is probably not this blatantly obvious. In other words, it's going to be more subtle. But in some sense, I think there is an element of pride in all of us when we worry and are anxious. If we are struggling with anxiety about a particular situation, we do need to examine ourselves and ask the Lord if there is pride and a lack of submission to His sovereignty in our life. For others, anxiety isn't caused by pride. In fact, they don't want to be in control of their own life. They want God to be in control of their life. But they feel that God isn't in control. They feel they are in control out of necessity, not out of desire. Everything in this situation is spiraling out of control, and since no one else will, I need to take over to try and regain control of the situation. Do you ever think, if I don't worry about this, no one else will? In this case, it is a matter of unbelief. Doubting the goodness of God. Doubting the character of God. Doubting the power or ability of God. And again, like pride, I think there is an element of unbelief whenever we are worrying or anxious. So to sum it up at this point, anxiety is a result of our desire to be in control And when we lose control, we become anxious. And our desire to be in control is a result of pride and unbelief to some extent or at some level. But is that where the Bible leaves us? Are we left with just the negative command, don't be anxious? Or does the Bible give us any help? Yes, the Bible has help for us. And that's what I want to do in the rest of our time, is I want to look at three passages of Scripture that talk about anxiety, and specifically I want to look at how Scripture and the writers of Scripture instruct us how to deal with anxiety. So the first passage that I want to look at is in 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, So I'll be reading uh, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. So 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Notice the flow here in Peter's instruction. First, he exhorts us to humble ourselves. Before he instructs us what to do with anxiety, Peter tells us to humble ourselves. Brethren, you are in a safe place if you are seeking to walk in humility. The verse right before what we read there in uh, 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we are going to deal rightly with anxiety, we need to first humble ourselves before God. Humility recognizes our own inability and acknowledges God's power and control. Notice, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's an acknowledgment of God's power and control, His mighty hand. When we recognize our inability, we no longer hold on to our burdens that are beyond us. Instead, verse 7, we bring them to the Lord. And notice how we bring them to the Lord. It says in verse 7, casting all your anxiety on Him. When we cast something upon someone, There is no sense of shared responsibility. Lord, you carry this end of the burden, and I'll carry the other end. That is not casting it upon the Lord. When we cast it upon the Lord, there is a complete surrender of it to his control. Lord, I'm done fighting and striving with this. I have no power or ability to control this. I give up, I need you to take this, I give this to you. That is what casting it upon the Lord means. And notice the character of the one who we are casting our anxieties upon. Again in verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Maybe someone would ask, Why should I cast my anxieties on God? There are many ways that we could answer that. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He's strong, or because He's wise, or casting all your anxieties on Him because He's sovereign over all things. These are all true. But Peter doesn't point to this as the reason to bring our anxieties to the Lord. He points to God's love and concern for us, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How comforting that is when we realize that the God of the universe is concerned about us and about our problems and our anxieties. He cares for us. Why would we not bring our every burden and our every problem to him? Well, let's look at another one here, Philippians chapter 4, another familiar passage, Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, so starting in verse 6, Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is Paul writing to the Philippians, and notice how he instructs the reader to deal with anxiety, prayer, and thanksgiving. What happens when we pray? When we come to the Lord in prayer, we are reminding ourselves that we are not in control. Prayer is a posture of humility. Just like in 1 Peter, we are to humble ourselves, and one of the ways we do that is through coming to the Lord in prayer. There is a type of prayer that does not resolve anxiety. It is a prayer that only focuses on the situation and spends little to no time looking to God at all. It is a prayer that brings the burden to the Lord and cries and complains about the burden, but never casts it upon the Lord. But the prayer that Paul is referring to is the one that acknowledges the situation and brings it to the Lord and as Peter says, casts it upon him. It is a prayer of surrender. Hezekiah is a good example of this in Second Kings. And if you remember, uh, the Assyrians had invaded Judah, and King Sennacherib sent Rabshakeh um, uh, to Judah and to King Hezekiah, threatening and warning them not to rely on their god because Assyria had defeated every other nation's god. And so I want to read this to you. If you want to follow along, you can turn to 2 Kings. We're going to start in chapter 18. Um, so 2 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to read verses uh, starting in verse 28. It says this, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And then skip down to verse 33. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And then read chapter 19, verse 1. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Now, this naturally left Hezekiah very distressed. This would be a situation that we might say would cause anxiety. Later, Rabshakeh sent a letter to Judah and Israel taunting them again. And if you uh, go down a little further in chapter 19, in verse 10, we'll pick up reading again says, Thus you shall say, so this is um, Rabshakeh sending a letter to Judah and to Hezekiah. Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations, which my father destroyed, deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the sons of Eden who were in Telasar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim and of Hena and Eva? So again here, he, the taunt has come. Hezekiah is distressed. He's anxious. But notice what he does. We'll keep reading here. Verse 14, Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of, the Assyria, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. So he took the letter and spread it out before the Lord and prayed. And notice his prayer is not just dwelling over and over lord we're going to be destroyed lord this king is against us he's coming he's coming what are we going to do it's not a panicked prayer but it's a crying out to the lord lord you're going to have to deliver us you alone are the only one who can deliver us in a sense he's reminding the lord lord we're your we're your chosen people they're coming against us the apple of your eye will you defend us It's it's bringing it to the Lord and looking to the Lord, not looking to the situation and just dwelling on the situation, spreading it out before the Lord. His eyes are on the Lord. This is what Paul is talking about back here in Philippians when he says, um, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God. Or like Peter says, casting your anxieties upon him. I believe that's what Hezekiah was trying to do there. He was trying to cast this heavy burden upon the Lord. A second thing, though, to notice about Paul's instructions in Philippians 4, he says that we are to, um, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. We are to come to the Lord with a heart of thankfulness, even in our moments of anxiety. Is this a fake and phony thankfulness? We're not thankful. We're worried. What is there to be thankful for in the midst of a trial and in the midst of anxiety? There is a lot to be thankful for. One thing we can be thankful for is that we are coming to the one who is all-powerful and is in complete control. We can be thankful that God is wise and He has a plan. We can be thankful that He will work all things according to the counsel of His will. We can be thankful that He causes all circumstances to work together for our ultimate good. You see, remembering these things that we have to be thankful for helps our attitude in prayer. It realigns our thinking to who God is. It leads us to worship Him even in the trial. And notice, finally, the result of prayer and thanksgiving. And it's uh, found in verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We come with our anxieties, and in return, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. What a wonderful reality. Think of the lyrics to this familiar song. What a friend we have in Jesus, "...all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer." I think the writer of this hymn is thinking about this passage, the peace we often forfeit. If we would just come to the Lord in prayer... With thanksgiving, the peace of God would surround us and uphold us. The peace we forfeit because we don't come to the Lord in prayer. But going on, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged, and I think we could add in there, or be anxious, take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then the last verse. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. In a sense, it seems like there's almost a growing anxiety, growing troubles throughout this song. It starts with our sins and griefs. We bring those to the Lord, we get help. Trials and temptations as a Christian, the Lord is there to help. Um, And then verse 3, weakness and burdens. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? But then this last one, it's like it, it hits us so hard whenever this happens. Do thy friends despise and forsake thee? Think about divisions and the difficulty in that. Take that to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Well, the final passage that I want to look at here, um, talking about uh, anxiety, is found in um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. This is a little bit of a longer passage, um, but we'll take the time to read it. Um, So we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Of course, this is Jesus speaking the Sermon on the Mount here. So verse 24 down through the end of the chapter. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So God and money here is what the the focus on verse 24 is. You can't serve both. You're going to serve one or the other. But then verse 25 and following is what I want to look at. For this reason... And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here in this passage, the word, if you notice, at least if you're reading from my version, the New American Standard, um, the word anxiety doesn't come up in this passage at all. Instead, this passage uses the word worry. Do not be worried about your life. So what is the difference? Well, I looked up the definition of worry, and here's what it is. There's two definitions. First, worry as a verb, and this is what it says, to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Okay. So what about worry as a noun? A state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. So we see here that the very definition of worry uses the term anxiety, and ironically, if you look up anxiety, it uses the very term of worry. So we can use these two, worry and anxiety, interchangeably. Well, this passage speaks primarily of worry about provision. Food and clothing is the specific examples that Jesus uses. So here the Bible meets us in the very place where we often struggle, anxiety about our daily provisions. In our country, with a seemingly endless supply of food and provision, we may not be able to relate to this as much as in other countries or in previous generations. Typically, we go to the store, and there are shelves full of food and supplies to purchase. But if you've been to the store lately, you've gotten a little glimpse of the uncertainty of provision. You go to the store with a list of food and supplies that you need, and in some cases you find empty shelves. You can imagine if that were a way of life, you might struggle with anxiety over provisions a lot more. But even though we usually have enough to eat, we still have plenty that we can be anxious about. Maybe it isn't anxiety over the food being on the grocery shelf. Maybe it's anxiety over, how am I going to pay for the groceries this week? In other words, anxiety over money. Well, this passage speaks to all anxiety, I believe. And I want to look at the reasons the Lord gives us to not worry or be anxious. So first, he reminds us how he faithfully provides for the animals in nature. This is an example of going from the lesser to the greater. If he provides for the lesser, will he not provide for the greater? You see that in verse 26. Uh, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? See, the lesser to the greater. He's providing for the lesser, the birds. Will he not provide for you, the greater? Um, And then in verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? So again, what's the lesser in this case? It's the grass. If he clothes the grass, which is the lesser, will he not much more clothe you, which is the greater? He faithfully provides for nature. He will faithfully provide for you. If ever we are tempted to doubt the provision of God, Look at nature. Look at the faithfulness of God and how he cares for the animals. He cares for the creatures. Look at the faithfulness of God that every spring, no matter how rough of a winter it's been, there's fresh grass, there's leaves on the tree, there's fruit on the vine. Again, the faithfulness of God. Well, another reason I've found to not worry is not in this exact passage, but it is in the same Sermon on the Mount. And so um, turn to the next chapter, Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, and we'll start reading in verse 9. This is the, the passage um, on prayer, really. Ask and you will receive, knock and you will find, uh, or I'm sorry, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. But then in verse 9, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So here we have another example of lesser to the greater if we as sinful men and women care for our children and seek to give good things to our children how much more will our heavenly father give to us we are the lesser he is the greater if you are a parent you know the love that you have for your children your joy is bound up in your children If your child is grieving, you grieve too. If your child is hurting, you sympathize, and in a sense, you hurt too. If your child is hungry, it moves you to action to provide or prepare some food. Our love for our children is real love, but it is very imperfect love. But think of God's love for us. His love is perfect love. Well, then lastly, a reason the Lord gives us not to worry is his knowledge of us. So back in Matthew 6, notice verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God has infinite knowledge. He knows all things. He knows the trials that you're going through. He knows what you need, but also this speaks of the personal, intimate knowledge of God. He knows my needs. He knows my struggles and what I am worried about. What an encouragement. God knows. And joining this with what we looked at in 1 Peter, God cares. He knows and cares. In many ways, our anxieties and fears are because we do not believe the goodness of God. We know God is able, we know God has knowledge, but somehow we worry that God won't be willing, or that God doesn't really care. If you are struggling with anxiety, meditate on the character of God. Think of how Jesus cared for and interacted with his disciples, and with the multitudes. And here's just a few examples that I thought of. One is in Matthew chapter 15. um, And uh, it says this, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. So here we have Jesus saying, I feel compassion. This is the heart of God towards us. He feels what we're going through. He feels the burdens. He feels the anxieties that you are going through. He knows. He cares. He understands. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. God knows and he cares And I I love this, this was when Jesus fed the the 5,000 there. I love how he says there that he doesn't want to send them away hungry. At least recorded in scripture here, it didn't say that anyone had been complaining of being hungry. It's like God is anticipating they're going to be hungry, and I want to send them with provision. And oftentimes we think we have to get into this panic state to even get God's attention. No. He knows Um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, yeah, Matthew 6, verse 8, this is right before Jesus instructs how we ought to pray, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Well, in verse 8, he says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him, before you even come to the Lord in prayer. He already knows what you need. God is intimately aware of all of our burdens and trials. Another verse, Mark chapter 1, a similar phrase here, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, "I am willing to be cleansed." So here someone comes to the Lord, "Lord, I'm I'm sick. I'm injured. I I have some um ailment." And cries out to him, If you are willing, will you will you heal me? And Jesus moved with compassion. You see, the heart of God towards people there stretches out his hand and touches him and heals him. And then in Matthew, again in chapter 9, um, I'm sorry, I'm just picking out these verses at random. It says, Jesus turning and seeing her said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Just the the tenderness that Jesus speaks to her here. Daughter, it's not this, you, whoever you are, I don't even know who you are. Uh, why are you doing this? It's a, it is such a, a tender way to respond to her. Daughter, take courage. Don't be afraid. He's concerned about her in this moment. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman is healed just the heart that the Lord has towards His people. And so I hope that this is an encouragement to you. If you're struggling, if you struggle with anxiety, look at the character of God. Look at how He relates to us, how He treats us, His love for us, His knowledge of us. Think about how He cares for us. And if you're doubting the ability of God, look at how God... Provides for everything else, for everyone else. Is he not able also to provide for you? Let that be what you meditate on. So often we begin to meditate on the circumstance, the situation, and it it just boils up that anxiety within us. And instead, that ought to be the, the occasion that drives us to the Lord, that we would bring those burdens to the Lord and lay them at his feet, just like Hezekiah, and spread it out before the Lord, and be honest. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm anxious. I know that you're able. I know that you're willing. Help me to believe you. Just like the uh, the man there with Jesus. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's an honest prayer. Let that be the way that we deal with our anxieties. Lord, I want to have victory in this. I know you're able. I do believe you, but help me to grow. Help me to Help me in my areas of unbelief. Well, may the Lord help us uh, in this area. Why don't we uh, close in prayer here. Father, we come to you. We thank you that you are a God who knows and cares. Lord, we thank you that these things are not beyond your control, that there isn't any, as they say, maverick molecule in the universe. Lord, you're, you're controlling it all. Lord, this uh, coronavirus that's going on right now, Lord, this isn't beyond your control. Uh, It's in your sovereign plan. Lord, help us to remember these things when anxiety builds up in our hearts, Lord, that we can come to you, that you know, that you sympathize, that you care for us. Lord, help us to look to you, to not be looking around us and just growing worried and, and anxious, but to bring our burdens to you, to cast them upon you knowing that you care for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.